Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. I want to start this morning with a, a bit of trivia for the younger people that are in here. Um, it's not hard trivia, but for you, oh, I don't know, 8 to, eight to 14-year-olds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple of statements, and you can probably figure it out pretty quickly, I think, but see, see if you can figure out what I'm talking about when I, when I tell you this. So back in April of 2009, so what, that's 12 years ago? Something like that? April of 2009, some, some guys got together and they posted or made a video, shot a video and they put it on YouTube, and in two weeks, or in a matter of about a week, it had 200,000 views. How many of you think you know who I'm talking about? Some of you? All right. So about a couple weeks later, they released another video, and that video went up to 18 million views in a really short period of time. Now, how many of you think you know who I'm talking about? Kate's like, duh, you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? Who do you think I'm talking about? Dude Perfect, right? Um, I don't know how many of you know of Dude Perfect, or I, I imagine if you have children, for sure, if you have boys, you know about Dude Perfect. And there's two things I think that we could all agree on when we talk about Dude Perfect, and number one is that they're really, really loud. When I hear a video playing somewhere of some adult men standing around screaming, yelling, well, Isaac's watching Dude Perfect because they're really loud. They make a lot of noise. But the other thing about Dude Perfect is that they're really successful. I think we could all agree that they're really successful. I looked up some of their statistics. Um, they currently hold 14 world records. Now, if I get some of these wrong, I'm sure some of you young, young men will be able to correct me on it, but they bro- they've broken a lot more world records than that, but I believe currently they're still holding 14 of the ones that they have broken, that they have set. Um, they're number 18 of the most subscribed YouTube channels in the world. Does anyone know how many subscribers they have? You can't get your phone out and look. Isaac, do you know how many? Around 56 million. I just looked yesterday again. There was at 56.8 million subscribers. And in 2021, their net worth was estimated to be around 50 million. So they're success, successful, right? Along with being loud. But they are very successful. They're successful in that they set out to accomplish, I don't, think they probably, I don't think they ever imagined that they'd be doing this full-time. Actually, I know they, they didn't when you hear their story. But they set out to do something, and it's become very successful. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about success here, here recently and what it means to be successful. What does it mean in your life? What does it mean in my life to be successful? So a couple of defin- definitions of what success is. Um, the dictionary will tell you it's the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. So you set out to do something, you set out to accomplish it, and then you complete it. So it's the desired, uh, another one, let me just read it here, the desired end result of your effort. I think, I think we can all understand that, and that is, there is an element of that that is success, because if you think about it in your business world, if you set out to run a business but you don't turn a profit, you're not going to be successful. You're going to go under really, really quickly. So success is 
the result of your efforts that you see. There's another way that we we look at success in our world and maybe even in our community, and that is we paint a picture of ourselves for people to see that looks good. In our marriages, in our homes, sometimes even in our business, we paint a picture that looks like it is something that it's not. But what, what are, what's the picture that we're trying to create? We want to create an illusion of something that is really prosperous and successful. And so as I was thinking about success, and I, I came across a very familiar story in the Old Testament that we'll be looking at today that really just kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me think about what success really is. And so that's what I want to talk about today. What is true success? And we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Um, we, all know, we all know the story so well, um, but I invite you to turn to Genesis 37. We're going to start in 37. We're going to make, make our way through actually a fair amount of his life. Um, and then I want to talk about what, what success looked like in his life and maybe what it should look like in our life. So in Genesis 37, um, I'm going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll just we'll kind of give, get an overview of the rest of that chapter. Genesis 37 says this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billa and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his, than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Here in this dream, this dream that I have dreamed, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father... And to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is your dream? What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now I want you to think about all the dynamics that are going on in Joseph's life that he has absolutely no control over. Sometimes when we look at Joseph's, Joseph's life and, and the result of his brothers, how his brothers acted against him, we, we can almost blame Joseph. Sometimes we, we view Joseph as being spoiled, arrogant. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Um, but I want you to think about the dynamics of his life that he had absolutely no control over. First of all, it says that he was born in his father's old age. Now, he had no say-so in that. None of us do. None of us have a say in when we are born. So he had no control over that. He had no control over the fact that he was in his it was old age, and so it was really special to his father. We, he had no control over the fact that his father really doted on him. 
that his father made him the robe, coat of many colors and chose him as his favorite. And it says, it was even before he had any of his dreams, his brothers already hated him. And they hated him because of his father's affection for him. And it was so evident that he was his father's favorite. And so, all these things are stacked against Maybe stacked against him is not. But these are things that he doesn't have any control over, right? Well, there's something else that happens in his life that he has no control over, and that is the fact that God gave him two dreams. And we just read about what those dreams were. God gave Joseph a dream, and in that dream, God gave Joseph a vision and a purpose for something that was going to happen in his life. And Joseph, I believe, understood that this was something that God had given to him. And again, it's not something that he had asked for, something that God had given him. So let me, let me just interject this at this point. If we define success by the end result of something that we set out to do, success in Joseph's life comes at the point in, in time when his brothers and his, his dad come and they bow down before him. If that's success, then that is when success would actually take place in Joseph's life. But I would suggest that in Joseph's life, there are two occasions. There are two occasions in Scripture that tells us that Joseph was successful. And neither of those occasions has anything to do with the point in time when his, his brothers and his parents bow down in front of him. So God has given Joseph a dream. And I think that dream we could consider, even consider that his calling in life. And all of us, many of us, or actually all of us, we have a sense of call in our lives for something. It's in different areas of our life. But sometimes when we're young, for even for you younger people that are sitting here, I had to think about this this week, is even as 10, 12, 14, 16-year-olds, you feel and sense a calling that, that God has in your life. Perhaps it's um, a career that, that you're wanting to pursue, or a ministry in some, uh, hitting the mission field, something that God is calling your life to in your life. But at this point in your life, it's fuzzy. You don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And I think that's perhaps what was happening in Joseph's life. But, and so instead of thinking that Joseph was arrogant in telling his brothers about this dream, could it be that he was so excited that God had showed him something that was going to happen in his life in a way that God was going to use him that he just had to get it out? Can you imagine? Like, imagine if God shows up and gives you in, in such clear, clear way a direction, something that's going to take place in your life. As a 17-year-old, what are you going to do with it? Is he supposed to just bottle it up and be mature and just say, let God, let it play out? I think it was his excitement and his passion that drove him, um, or could be, that drove him to tell his brothers about it. Either way, whatever his motive was and whatever his reason for telling his brothers and his dad about the dream, it got him into big trouble. So we know the story, the rest of chapter 37, how his brothers betray him, 
they throw him to a pit, and they end up selling him to Ishmael, Ishmaelite of a caravan, and they take him off to Egypt and sell him to be a slave. Now, like I said, none of these things were his choice. When you think about the hard times in your life, it's, it's easier, maybe, maybe it's easier for us to deal with the hard situations that we find ourselves in if it's our own foolish choices that have gotten us to them. If I make some stupid decision or I, I'm living in sin and somehow I end up in a bad spot, well, that's a result of my bad decisions. Joseph ends up in a very bad spot, in a very, very difficult place in his life, not based on his own decisions. And it's easy at that point to become bitter and discouraged and resentful. And I find myself there. When, we, when I find myself in a hard spot, because of other people's decisions, it can lead us to becoming angry and bitter towards him, towards them, and towards, or just towards the reality of the things that are happening in our lives. But Joseph's response and reveals his true character. How we respond in those times is also a revelation of our own character. So if you're still in Genesis, I'd invite you to turn to chapter 37. There are two occasions, I told you, where it says that Joseph was a successful man. The first, the first of those occasions in fact, is found in Genesis 39, verse 2. This is as a slave. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Master. And again, down in verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And as I read that, I've often, it, it struck me in a new way, because often I just kind of read over that and skimmed over it, and I was thinking, okay, so the success that Joseph experienced was that, I mean, everything he touched for Potiphar turned to gold. It, it worked. It functioned well. And Potiphar experienced tremendous amount of wealth because of Joseph. But Joseph is still a slave. Unless we think it, that it was easy, I'll come to, we'll, we'll look at a, a couple verses in chapter 41. Joseph is still a slave. He is a man who has no freedom. He doesn't have the ability to make his own choices, to come and go as he pleases. He is still under the control, if you will, of his master. His master stands there with all the extravagance that material wealth brings, reaping all the evidence of what we call success, while Joseph the slave stands beside him as the one Scripture proclaims to be truly successful. So if Joseph as a slave, can be successful. Do we need to rethink how we define success? Especially, and I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, how do we define success in our lives personally? How we grow, but in our lives spiritually, how do we define success? Perhaps God's idea of success is much different than our own. Part of that success is Joseph's integrity and wisdom that brought all that wealth to Potiphar. But is there more 
than just Potiphar reaping the success or reaping the benefits of Joseph being successful? Is there something more to success? David, if you have that slide, I'm going to put up a slide here. This is a definition of success that I came across. Oh, it was early this summer, um, sitting on the tractor listening to a podcast. I came across this definition of success, and I had to stop and write it down because I think it captures a beautiful picture of success. And I'm going to read it once, and I'm going to let you read it because you have to think about it for a little while. Becoming the person that God has called you to become and doing what God has called you to do in His way and according to His timetable. Pete Scazzaro is the one who defined that. Becoming the person that God has called you to become and doing what God has called you to do in His way and according to His timetable. So think about how this plays out in Joseph's life. Joseph has received this vision that God gave him But the periods in his life when God says he's successful are what we would call some of the hardest and the darkest periods of his life. It wasn't the end result. And one of the reasons I love this definition so much is it's it's talking about, it's not talking about the end result, that end result that Joseph could have been looking for when his brothers bow down. But it is a it is all that in between, it's that becoming. Now I want you to think about the word becoming, the person that God has called you to become, and doing those two words, and in his way and according to his timetable. Joseph allowed God, um, allowed God to use him in those dark times to become the person, because we will see a completely different response than what should be when his brothers do come to him. Joseph was becoming the man that God had called him to be because one of the reasons is because of how he lived with an awareness of the presence of God. If you go back to chapter 39, one of the things that always jumps out to me in chapter 39 is how God says, um, it says it in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and again when he was in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. So, it's easy for us to be kind of flipping about this idea, oh, well, yeah, you know, we know God is with us. We get that, but what does that mean? What does that look like? I think Joseph lived with an awareness, a very keen awareness of that presence of God in his life because um, one example of it would be when Potiphar's wife came to seduce him. His response was, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So, as I, as I look at this definition of success and at Joseph's life, perhaps there are four different ways in which our success, um, success grows out of that. And one, the first way I just referred to is being, living with an awareness of God's presence in our lives every day. Matthew Henry says this about this period in, in time in Joseph's life when he was a slave but he was aware of God's presence. Matthew Henry says, Our enemies may strip us of outward distinctions and ornaments, but wisdom and grace can never be taken from us. They may separate us from friends, relatives, and country, but they cannot take us from the presence of the Lord. They may shut us out from outward blessings. 
They may rob us of liberty and confine us in dungeons, but they cannot shut us out from communion with God from the throne of grace or take from us the blessings of salvation. Joseph was blessed, wonderfully blessed, even in the house where he was a slave. When God's presence is with us, it makes all we do prosperous. So success, rather than seeing it as an end result, let's begin to see it as the, in the middle of the journey that God has taken us on. And the second, the second way that I see it lived out in Joseph's life is Joseph was faithful in the moment. Joseph did the exact thing that God was calling him to do, that doing thing. Sometimes we get so distracted by our circumstances that we forget the, what God is actually trying to do in our life. But Joseph was doing what God called him to do every moment, and that flows out of that awareness of his presence with us. And we know the story of how Potiphar's wife seduced him and tried to get him to fall. And Joseph mans up, and he runs away from the temptation because he knows it's more than he can bear. He does the right thing, and yet he suffers for it. It's just like, seriously. So he's, he's a slave, but God says he's prosperous. He does the right thing in the moment. He's faithful in taking the next right step, and it only gets him in deeper trouble. And Joseph ends up being thrown in prison, where once again, it says that God made him succeed. And just in case you think that because he was able to be in charge of the prison, that it wasn't necessarily a bad scenario. Chapter 40, verse 14, when the cupbearer and the baker are in there with him, and Joseph is telling them, or they're telling Joseph about his dream, and he tells the, the cupbearer, yeah, it's the, the cupbearer, about how he's going to be restored to his place. Joseph tells him this at that point. He said, when you get out, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me kindness the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me in the pit. So just because it says that Joseph was prosperous does not mean it was pleasant or that it was easy. It was a very difficult, it was not where he wanted to be. The other thing that goes right along with that is Joseph is willing to follow God and to do things in his way. Joseph is willing to follow God and do things his way. And I'm not going to talk more about that, but think about how that impacts your life. We have our set ways, things how we think it should be done, how we think it should look to get us to this place. But God's ways are often totally different than our own. And then the last one is his, God's timetable. Joseph experienced God's timetable, which was definitely not his own. From the time that Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt to the time when his brothers actually showed up in Egypt, um, and that, that's in chapter 41, 37, is when they come and they actually fall down before him, is a 13-year span of his life. So for 13 years, he's a slave or in prison. God's timetable is obviously not our own. But 
But what I see happening in Joseph's life is because he, he allows God to help him and shape him in those hardest times in his life, it totally changes his response when his brothers come. Because when his brothers show up in, in the end of chapter 41, in 42 to 44, all those times when Joseph tests his brother, normally we'd call that success because it was finally fulfilled the end result of his dreams. And Joseph finally has an opportunity. He's been, he's been used so unjustly. He's been betrayed by so many people. He's been, he was a foreigner. He was a slave. He was um, unjustly put into prison. And his brothers show up, and he has a, a chance to administer justice. He has a chance. It could look like payback, but they did him wrong. And now he's in a position where he can um, restore justice or he can do justice. But Joseph's response to his brothers, I believe, is the evidence of true success in his life. It is the evidence of him becoming the man that God has called him to become and doing what God has called him to, to do in his way and according to God's timetable. This is Joseph's response to his brother his brothers. He said, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So I look way back at the beginning of Joseph's life when God had given him that picture, that vision, and that call. And all of us have that or feel that sense of call. We may not look, know what the end, of it, the end of it looks like. And if we try to accomplish that purpose in our lives on our own without walking that in-between, that in-between where we are truly successful as we allow God to shape us, then our response to... Um, well, Joseph could have seen this as a position where he can use his authority to get back at his, at his brother's. And we would have probably said, hey, he was justified in doing it. But instead, his response is not a feeling of sense of accomplishment. Rather, it is a result, results in an act of love and forgiveness. So how does that apply? How does it apply? How do we take that and allow God to use that in our lives? I think Joseph's life is a picture as I, as I look at his life from the beginning all the way through, it's a, it's a picture and an example for us because we can all relate, I think we can all relate to all those different places, those different seasons, if you will, where Joseph walked through. The time where he was um, the favorite child, everything felt secure, it was safe for him, to being betrayed by family, to having God give us a vision, a passion, something that burns deep within us, and, it, and feeling like that is being stomped out over and over and over again. The betrayal, the unjust, doing the right thing, and ending up being punished for doing the right thing. I think we can all relate to that and even coming out on the other side. Those are all just little things, not, maybe not little things, but things that we encounter in life. But the call for us, I believe, if we want to truly be successful is to let God use those times. Not focus on the end result, how we want it to look, but allow God to shape us 
in the middle of that. And we do that by living the exact same way that Joseph did, by being aware and living a life that is aware that God is with us and His presence is with us every day. It's so easy. It's so easy as we go through life. We go a work day. Do you find you ever find yourself at the work day? Maybe you maybe you have devotions or you spend a little bit of time with God in the morning, and you go through your work day. It's just crazy busy, and you get to the end of the day, and you have never haven't even thought about God the rest of the day. Do you ever find yourself there? How do how do we make how do we find a way that we live with an awareness, a constant awareness that every single moment God is with us? And sometimes I think we have to create disciplines in our life to simply stop. I don't know, this is just, this is um, something that, that I still use. How many of you remember when um, we talked through the book of Acts and we set our alarms for certain times of the day? I still, I still have mine on. I wonder, I'm sure many of you do as well, but 159 every single day, and sometimes it's like I'm in the middle of something and it's like, just shut up the alarm, just shut it off, it's annoying. But I, I want God to be able to use things like that. We need to set up things like that in our lives, I believe, where it just it stops us and we say, okay, God's right here. His presence is with us throughout this day. And then taking the next right step, exactly what Joseph did, and trust God's timing. And then when we look at some point in our times when we're standing over here where Joseph stood at the end of his life, and he looks back, we can say that all that stuff there in the middle that was so hard that we didn't understand at the moment, we can look back and say, oh, it was God that took us through that. And so the, this over here isn't where we find success. It's right here in the middle. So in the next week, I would encourage you, think, think, about, think about this definition of success. If you have a chance, jot it down. And let that become a prayer for each one of us and for us as a church is becoming the person that God has called you to become and doing what God has called you to do in His way and according to His timetable. God bless you guys. Can you all stand? We're not going to have a song here at the end, so just if you would stand, we'll have dismissal prayer and we'll go from here. Thank you, God, for this family of believers. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to come and to hear from you, um, not just today, but I pray that as we go through our lives, God, this week especially, create in us an awareness of what you're doing in our lives and that you are involved in every aspect of our lives. Every day, the hard things, the good things, the annoying things, you're right in the middle of those. And I pray that we would live with that awareness and that we would truly become the people that you are calling us to become. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.